And now, from San Francisco and the UCSF Rosenman Institute, the Health Technology Podcast with your host, Christine Winotto. Our guest today is Michael David. His current work at Neuropace, where he serves as president and CEO, focuses on their new and innovative technology, tracking brain waves to predict epileptic attacks. Although Michael was actually an engineer straight out of college, he has had a long and storied 30-year career in the medical device field. He served as CEO of multiple different companies, as well as serving as an investor. This gives him an interesting perspective on his work at Neuropace, as well as his career as a whole, in understanding both the business and the medical side. In this episode, Michael explains how he went from an engineer from the University of Illinois to a CEO of a revolutionary medical device company in the Bay Area. Here's our conversation. Well, welcome, Mike. Thanks for joining me this morning. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. First of all, congratulations on the successful IPO that you led with Neuropace. Thank, thank you. Yeah, it was. It is very exciting. It's a long, long journey for the company, but very glad to uh, to be able to have that accomplishment. Oh, definitely. I'm going to ask you about the experience. But maybe before we start, I thought it would be good for our listener to hear a bit about your background. Um, you started your career in the R&D, but somehow you move along some to where you are today. If you can share with us how how that path. Yeah, I would be, be happy to. It's um, As you know, and I think everybody knows that's been, been working for any period of time, a career is definitely a journey, not, not a straight line journey. In many cases, I started my career as an engineer. So I went to engineering school um, at the University of Illinois, graduated and was fortunate to be hired into a medical device company out of, out of engineering school. Um, didn't necessarily plan for that. Um, was had opportunities in a variety of different industries and, and really was intrigued by medical technology. And so I took took that opportunity and um, spent the first number of years of my career as an engineer, a process development engineer, a mechanical um, development engineer, moved into project management and um, really became interested in the broader business aspects of medical technology. Um, I went back and got an MBA um, and then with that, started doing more in my career that was a, a not just engineering, but project management, bringing in some of the clinical applications. So I spent some time in the field, um, supporting devices in the in the field, um, and then moved into general management roles over the over the course of my career. So it definitely took some um, twists and turns. Did some time as an investor as well, um, but have spent my entire career now thirty years in the medical device space. You, you definitely stay in the industry. Uh, I mean, I went to school in University of Wisconsin-Madison. And when I was there, I don't remember seeing any medical devices company recruiting in our school. But you went to U of I. Uh, in, so which company that recruit there that convinced you to go to a medical technology space? So I started with a, a division of Eli Lilly called Cardiac Pacemakers that ultimately spun out to become Guidance. Um, so that's that's where I started, and 
a good job with cardiac pacemakers and the cardiac rhythm management space in, in Minneapolis. And so you stay in Guidon and then move out here to the Bay Area? I, I did. I, I stayed with Guidon um, from before Guidon, so when it was Eli Lilly, and then I transferred from the cardiac rhythm management business that was based in, in the Minneapolis area to the cardiac surgery business that was in, that's based in the Bay Area. Um, so I made that transition beginning of 2004 um, and then stayed with Guidon until it was sold. The business unit I was with was sold to Boston Scientific. So I, I stayed, I was with Guidon from the IPO all the way through the sale to Boston Scientific. So did you dabble a little bit with some of the startup companies? I did afterwards. So I was with Boston Scientific and then Boston Scientific a couple years after they bought Guidon sold the cardiac surgery business. Um, and then after that sale, I decided to make a change and go into the startup world. So I, the first um, almost 20 years of my career, 17 years of my career were with larger companies. Um, and then I made a, a significant change and decided to move up and move into the startup world. So as you know, there's a lot of early stage startup medical technology in the Bay Area. I had become familiar with that through some of my roles and responsibilities at, at Guidant and Boston Scientific. And took that opportunity to move into early stage startup company initially in the sleep apnea space, but was able to um, go through a few different startup companies, um, in- including you know most recently with Neuropace. Oh, so I often get asked by uh, graduating uh, students uh, the question they ask: Is it better to go for a larger company first, or go straight to the startup first? And I'm just going to throw it at you. <laughs> that you know, I, I have a bias because I did what I did was start at the larger company first and then go to the startup company. Um, that did that worked really well for me. There's some some benefits of doing that that the larger companies have a really well established support system. The processes are are understood. There's experts within the company that are able to train and mentor. Um, for development. And then from, from my perspective, then taking that into a startup experience where you've had that, that really um, great foundation that was provided by the larger company. Um, that said, I, I know plenty of people who started in a startup company and love it and stay there. So I don't think there's a right answer, or a wrong answer. I wouldn't do it differently for myself, but I, I don't mm-hmm. think there's a right answer or a wrong answer to that question. Yeah. So, and so before... Neuropace, like you mentioned earlier, that you join an investment. Tell us more about that. Yeah, it was a, really a great opportunity that I had a chance to go to KCK Group. KCK is a family fund, large family fund that started doing venture investing in the med tech space around the, the time that I joined them. Um, that opportunity doesn't come along very often, so it was really a unique chance to move from being in a company to evaluating technologies and companies, making investments, um, sitting on the board of directors. KCK was an an active investor, meaning that they took board seats on pretty much all of the investments that they, that they made um, and, and did that for about three years. That's like, that's actually how I got connected to Neurobase. KCK made an investment in Neurobase. And then I came onto the board of the company as part of that investment. Um, Really a, a, great experience for me now in the role that I have, especially today, where I have that company experience, but I also, you know, for three years was an investor. So I understand very much 
what the investors are thinking, the questions that they're asking, the concerns that they have, being able to bring all of that together with that with that understanding of the full picture uh, was has really been a, a great experience. And I know it's like Neuropace uh, started a while ago, and I think many of the team, because uh, I, I know Rebecca Kuhn was yeah. uh, there from the beginning, and I thought it was really interesting to see that people stay for in the, in the team. So you took that CEO role in 2019. How has that changed in terms of uh, you know, setting up, you know, this, you know, when com- company grows, they're in different stage. It, it takes different kind of leadership and different kind of direction. And what do you do to change or what are the things that you keep the same? The, the history of Neuropace is really a fascinating history. As you mentioned, the company's been around for quite a while. Um, the, the technology that was developed by Neuropace is the first of its kind brain-responsive neurostimulation system. It required a very extensive process to develop a technology, work through the clinical process, regulatory process. And we were very fortunate that a number of the people who were there at the beginning of the company are still with us today. And you don't see that a lot in industry, in the medical device industry, where people stay, especially at a startup company, throughout all of, all of that time. The company has gone through a number of changes and stages. So now we're very much a commercial stage business. Um, we have the foundation of some of the early members of the team that are still with the organization and are really key for driving it forward. But not a lot of new people that have come into the organization that have helped transform from that early innovation to building up commercial capability and merging the two of them together. And so, you know, I'd say most recently, and the changes that have happened since I, I started as the CEO is really to accelerate that commercial adoption of the device and the technology, building up the capability and capacity of our commercial organization, our field team, our marketing team, um, as well as continuing to support the continued innovation through the research and development and the, and the manufacturing operation scale up of the organization. So bringing all of that together to have a a full set of capabilities from commercial, you know, all the, all the way through innovation. Maybe for some of our listeners who are not familiar with Neuropace, if you can give us a brief overview what Neuropace does. Great. Yeah, for, for those of that are not familiar with Neuropace, um, Neuropace is really a, a very innovative um, company with a technology, unique technology um, it started with the recognition that there's people um, suffering with epilepsy, um, which is a seizure disorder. And for many of those people with epilepsy, two-thirds of those people with epilepsy are able to control their seizures with medication, but one-third are not. Um, in the United States, there are about three and a half million people with epilepsy, about 1.2 million people that are not able to control their seizures with medication. That 1.2 million people is really what the company was formed for. So recognizing that there's this condition, that there's not a solution uh, for these patients to be able to to be able to control their seizures, to be able to live their best life. Um, and so with that, the, the company, starting with the cardiac approach for cardiac rhythm management, said, uh, let's develop a technology that is rec- able to recognize patient-specific brain patterns. So an implantable neurostimulator with electrodes positioned into the brain 
um, that is able to recognize patient-specific brain patterns, respond in real time with stimulation at the source of where those seizures are, are starting, and prevent seizures before they start. So that ability to recognize patterns, respond in real time to stimulate the brain. And then one of the unique aspects of the neuropace system is that we're also able to record that brain activity and provide that information about what's happening inside of a patient's brain back to the clinician in a way that allows them to optimize the therapy over time. So the device itself is implanted but the device can be optimized, programmed and optimized to recognize those patient-specific patterns and to tweak the way that the stimulation is provided um, in a way that outcomes for individual patients can improve over time. Uh, but we've also invested a lot into clinical studies and have shown that we're continuing to make new patients get better faster by learning from the previous experience with, with earlier patients, applying that learning to more recently treated patients to allow them to reap the benefits of that, that early experience. This podcast is sponsored by Brown Rutnick's Global Life Sciences Group, a team of legal professionals that help life science companies, lenders, and investors around the world turn good science into good business. Learn more at brownrudnick.com. This podcast is also sponsored by Canon Quality Group, Canon Quality Group has been helping medtech startups set up quality management systems for over 10 years. If you're unsure when to get started with quality management in your startup, turn to the experts at canonqualitygroup.com. Interesting when you probably, when you, uh, the, the folks that started NeuroPage 20 years ago, uh, I think, you know, how, how it times have changed so much, like how data now has a huge role. And can you speak more to that? Yeah, that, you're, you're absolutely right. There's um, the aspect of our, our system, which is providing the stimulation. And, and that's very important. I mean, ultimately, that is the therapy. But what we've learned over time is that the data component of our system is as important to the the device outcomes into clinical management of epilepsy as the stimulation itself. So that recording of the brain activity that I mentioned, every time a patient has an abnormal electrical event that's associated with or could be associated with a seizure, we record information about those events. That includes when that abnormal activity happened. Um, we also record the brain signals associated with that event. So what were the signals like leading up to the detection what were the signals after we provided therapy? All of that information is collected, uploaded into a, a database and is available to the clinician. So the clinicians are able to look at the information about their patients to see trending of when abnormal activities are happening. Are there patterns where I mean, there's day-night cycles where there's a time of day where an individual patient has more abnormal activity um, are there multi-day cycles and, and a very large percentage of patients have multi-day cycles? Using that information to, again, program the device more optimally, but also to manage the patient care, looking at um, drug therapy, how to optimize drug therapy for those patients or lifestyle uh, lifestyle changes. And that that data is a key part of where we're going from a research and development standpoint. So there's there's two things that we're doing in particular. One is making it easier for physicians to 
get the important insights from the data that we've collected. So looking at all of that data, but synthesizing it down to what's most important, presenting it to a physician in a way that allows them to easily make those clinical decisions. But we're also starting to use what now is a database of these signals that have been collected. We have over 6 million brain signals that we've recorded from the device have available in our database. We're starting to employ advanced analytic um, capabilities, artificial intelligence kind of programs and machine learning kind of programs to identify, are there aspects of those signals that we can use to pull out of that database to help individual patients get better, to optimize the way those, those therapies are being performed, are being um, programmed and set up. And so that's, the, that's where we're at in the research phase at this point is starting to use that database to continue to improve outcomes by by using that collection of data that's been collected over the over the years of, of our commercial launch since our commercial launch. Now that's that's really interesting. I think you know sometimes uh, when you have data in the beginning, you don't know what that's going to look like, and then you start gathering. That's everything just make a lot of sense. Um, and I know, like I think you know. Neuropace is working in an area that is also really challenging. That's why, you know, it takes a, a while. Um, I remember talking to Frank how, you know, cardiologists behave so differently from neurologists. And that's why, that's another reason why things take a bit longer. And now that Neuropace is where it is today, what do you see the projection in terms of adoption rate that's going to be picked up? Where we're at today, you know, we've made, I would say, really good progress at getting a device onto the market with well-established clinical evidence. We've started to, to make good progress as well at, at awareness of the physicians within comprehensive epilepsy centers, so epilepsy specialists within comprehensive epilepsy centers like, like UCSF um, that are aware of the technology, aware of the therapy um, the big focus for us as an organization is to increase that awareness to help treat more of these patients that have drug-resistant epilepsy. Um, unfortunately, most people that are that have epilepsy, drug-resistant epilepsy, are still continuing to suffer with the effects of their of their seizures, and and so that's um, you know our call to action is that there's so many of these patients, vast majority of these patients with drug-resistant epilepsy, just continue to um, have seizures, not have uncontrolled seizures. And so creating a system, a device that is able to effectively treat those patients, make their make their seizures less, reduce the frequency, reduce the severity of those seizures over time. Um, and a lot of the growth of the business comes from making patients aware, people with epilepsy aware of the treatment options that are available, having the physicians be aware, and changing the way that that physicians practice medicine for these patients, knowing that there is a treatment option that's available um, for those patients that have failed um, drug therapy. And I know there's, because um, uh, I talked to one of our, our PI here who used the NeuroPACE device uh, for a clinical study for different indication to help uh, treat depression. Can you speak us, speak more about that? Yeah, and that's, that's very exciting. So our technology is really a platform technology. I talked about brain-responsive neurostimulation, the ability to recognize patient-specific brain patterns, respond with programmable stimulation therapy. 
the first application of that for our, our devices with epilepsy. So we're taking that approach of recognizing epileptic activity and responding with stimulation that's appropriate for that. But the device can do the same kind of approach for other conditions as well. So the idea to the idea is that there are could be patient-specific brain patterns associated with other neurologic conditions, like depression as an example that's being studied at, at UCSF. And so the work that's being done there is to identify are there depression-specific brain patterns that we can recognize, that the device can recognize, and then stimulation that can be provided into the appropriate location of the brain to be able to help patients with people with treatment-resistant depression get better. There's work that's happening at other institutions as well on conditions such as loss of control eating, PTSD. Um, And our focus is really looking at what I'm going to broadly call episodic brain neurologic conditions. So anytime that there's a brain condition that's not continuous, but that there's periods of time where there's something that's happening that's not not right, um, that we would be able to detect that event and then come in with neuromodulation therapy to hopefully get those patients better. And so we're um, supporting institutions like UCSF that's doing the depression study. We're supporting other institutions that have interesting interesting ideas using the technology. And the, the hope is that over time, um, we'll identify ways like with epilepsy that we can apply responsive neurostimulation to help people with other other conditions as well. Yeah, I think when I think about, you know, uh, how long it takes new to pace, but I think it's also paved the way for a lot of different uh, uh, indication. I think that's really exciting. So hopefully for the next one, it would not take that long. Hopefully for the next one, it doesn't take that long. The platform is there. Um, the idea is there. There's there's clearly a lot of work that still needs to be done, but I, I am with you. I hope that the next time and expect that the next time will be much faster. Yeah. So I... I would not be amiss to ask you the question: What it feels like to ring that bell during the IPO? It was it was very exciting. You know, the process. You know, thinking about a, a company like Neuropace that spent so much uh, time and effort and, and resources to be able to develop such a unique technology and to get it to the market and start to scale it up. Um, to be able to to take that out to public company investors and get hear that the story about the company, the, the benefits of the technology, the ability of us, of our team to be able to commercialize and expand, that that resonated with the investors, with public company investors, that we were able to complete the IPO, a successful IPO. Um, and then the, the ringing the bell is really just the symbolic end of all of that. Um, so feeling it was a you know great, I think, great, great for the company to get that sense of, you know, we've arrived. And what we've done over this period of time, you know, really is resonating with uh, with people across the across the world. Yeah, so it's interesting. You did the process during the pandemic time, and I used to be an investment banker, and where you know the roadshow that probably is different. It is. It is different. It's uh, vir- virtual at, at this point. We've made the decision as a as a group for the the team, the senior team that was presenting as part of the roadshow, we actually came together in person in New York. So we went to went to New York and sat in a conference room um, together to do those to do those calls. But it was no longer the, you know, jump in a car and go from investor to investor to investor and then hop on a plane to the next city and do the same thing again. Um, we sat in a conference room and got onto a Zoom call 
with the with investor after investor, um, much more efficient, I would say, than uh, than the logistics associated with going from building to building. Uh, we were able to, to spend time with quite a number of investors, and it didn't matter geographically where they were located. So we could have a meeting with you know companies or with funds from all over the world, you know, one after another after another. I um, mean, I from talking to the banks, I don't think we'll go back to the way it was before. I think that virtual roadshow is here to stay. It's just got so many advantages over what was done before. Yeah, no, I think I can imagine. It's 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 become more efficient. You got to pack more meetings in a day than before. I think I'm sure that bankers like that too. <laughs> yeah, lots lots of meetings in a day. It doesn't doesn't make it less tiring, but it, it does make it more efficient. Well, at least you don't have to, you know, hop on the taxi and then sit waiting for the lounge to get under the plane. So it's uh, for, you know, it's interesting because you've been in the industry for a while. It's been, you know, I think for the last few years, you see a lot more uh, IPO opportunity for MedTech. Do you think that is continuing? And is, and of course, there's a SPAC. And, you know, when people talk about SPAC, I was just like, oh, how many of the spec can be happening in a med tech? But apparently there are some. Uh, so can you tell us more about like the route of going the IPO versus spec? Yeah, I'm very encouraged by. I think everybody in the medical device space is encouraged by the increase in IPO activity that was always throughout my career was theoretically out there of there's a pathway to a, a public offering, but historically it was really uncommon that that happened. And so it's still not common, but it's becoming more common that there's a real pathway for medical technology in the, in the public markets. Um, that means that there's another source of investments. There's more um, that'll help encourage more companies starting, knowing that that is a pathway to be able to, to continue to grow the business and, and provide capital for businesses. And so I think it's really good for the medical device, medical technology ecosystem and the key to that is that companies like Neuropace need to continue to perform. So the more that companies that go public have success going public, the more the public investors are going to be interested in doing that again and again and again. So you know, it's imperative for us, not just for our investors, but for the medical device space overall to continue to provide a good example of returns that investors are able to get over time. Um, as you mentioned, we did a traditional path IPO um, as part of our process. There's been more and more SPAC activity um, that's happened, especially in the last you know last year and this year. You know that just has exploded. Um, that's a pathway that's available for some companies. It wasn't the right pathway for us. We were able to to get really good um, high level of interest and support from the investors going down a traditional path um, IPO, but it, you know it's. It's um, you know good to see the capital going in to medic interested in medical devices and healthcare and the SPAC side as well provides one more one more way for companies to be able to get the capital that they need to, to grow and, and thrive. Yeah, no, I think it's definitely and when we first started the MedTech Venture Partners, it's so hard to find capital for early stage and I think having success like NeuroPace has and uh, I think will encourage more early stage investor to put their money into the med tech space. I agree. So I know that you're leading NeuroPace and probably you don't, you know, you're not thinking about the other th things going on in med tech. What do you see 
the future of med tech when everybody's now talking about health technology, like all the data, the digital. There's, you know, there's so much potential around medical device and medical technology. It's, you know, when I reflect back over, over my career, just how much progress has been made, um, improving outcomes for patients with a whole variety of different conditions. Um, I'm fairly aware of what's happening you know, more, more broadly within the space, having done investing for a number of years, I got exposure to a, a lot of different companies. You know, I'm, I'm biased that some of the work that's happening around bioelectric medicine, you know, it's a category that we fit into broadly, neuromodulation, bioelectric medicine. Um, I think that's a really interesting space. There's so much potential for um, conditions, a variety of different conditions that don't have good treatment options today. Um, patients with, with um, diseases or conditions that they're not able to provide the best outcomes and there's you know need that's generated from that. And I think device solutions are going to be really, really important to be able to, to continue to, to make progress there. Um, so as, a, as an industry, I think it's a really exciting time to be within medical devices. The investor side is positive because you've got good outcomes that are happening for the companies. And the patient outcomes are continuing to get better and better and better. Um, so it's, I think it's a great time for those people that are considering what do you do with your career. And I know that's part of the part of the audience. You know, I think the medical device space is a great a great place to be. It's definitely a great community. It is. I feel like it's a small world. Everybody knows everybody, and everybody seems to be passionate about making an impact. It is a small. We we were talking earlier that the you know it is a it is a small world within medical device, and there's a common theme of people that are trying to a group of people that are trying to help patients do better. You know, it's recognizing that there are patient needs that are out there, and um, very very creative people that are able to identify unique solutions to help people get better. And that that passion around patient outcomes that's definitely central to Neuropace. But I see that across the medical device space, that it, it's just a you know, very passionate community. So, well, that's great. Well, thank you so much. And But before my last question, when you were engineers coming out from University of Illinois, have you ever thought that you'd be one day leading the CEO, like become the CEO of a publicly traded company? Uh, no, <laughs> I, I did not. What would like, you tell the, yourself that time? Like, if you have to uh, go back, it's like... <laughs> Yeah, it, you know, a career is a is a journey, as I, I as I mentioned earlier. So I, I you know was always thinking about maybe what's the next step or the next next step. Um, to becoming a CEO of a company, becoming a CEO of a public company was many many steps away. So I didn't have any any visibility to what that would even what that would even be how how I would be able to get there. Um, and it just evolves over time. So you're on a path and a journey and you make the next step and the next step. And then suddenly that becomes more clear what's a good opportunity to, to move on for the next for the next piece. But early in my career, I had no um, no concept of, of being where I'm at today. So what's your lesson? If you have to tell somebody who is an engineer student right now, what would you tell them? So I, I would start with you know, following your passion. So any career that you do is consuming. So if you're going into whatever job, you're going to be putting a significant part of your life into that. Um, choose something that you're passionate about, because um, if not, it becomes a you know, drudgery 
and you want to be you want to be able to do something that you're excited about what it is that you're doing you know, what it is that you're doing so follow your passion um, and the other step you know the other piece that I would say is as you're progressing in your career um, take risks take some take some risks I know that I I did that throughout my career it was always a little bit scary every time I did something new move into a new job moving from a large company into a startup company taking a bigger responsibility there's some uncomfortableness that goes along with that but every time i did that it was rewarding so that that ability to try stretch yourself push in some push in some new directions um follow your passion and and push your and push yourself i think those those would be the two things that i would that i would say well that's great well thank you so much mike thanks for your time yeah thank you i enjoyed it Thank you for listening to another episode of the Health Technology Podcast. We want to thank our executive producer, Herminio Neto, our content writer, Kelly Muscat, and our podcast engineer, Andrew Rojek. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. The Health Technology Podcast is available on all major platforms.